This is the Thursday Night Podcast, your source for news, analysis, and all things Georgia State sports. Because every day is Thursday. Hello and welcome to episode 125 of the Thursday Night Podcast. My name is Jordan and I'm joined today by Brady and David. This week, we're going to talk about the Panthers NCAA tournament loss to Gonzaga and take a quick bird's eye view of the basketball season that was. We'll also recap a mostly good week on the baseball diamond and discuss one more coaching hire on the gridiron. But first, basketball. The madness is over for Georgia State as they fell 93-72 to the top-seeded Gonzaga Bulldogs in Portland, Oregon on Thursday afternoon in the first round of the 2022 NCAA Tournament. It's a final score that's not entirely representative of the way the game played out, as it was just a 35-33 Zags lead at the break, and the Panthers gave them all they could handle. Hot shooting out of halftime kept State in the game and even in the lead up to around the halfway mark in the second half, but foul trouble and an injury to forward Eliosa Semi caught up to them, and a 21-0 run by Gonzaga spelled doom for the Panthers' chances to pull off a historic upset. They finished Rob Lanier's third season in charge at 18-11, coming off of a quality Quadrant 1 loss, and will now move to the offseason where the task of replacing four key seniors awaits Coach Lanier and his staff. So, gentlemen thoughts about that game versus the zags well uh i mean that was about as good a performance as georgia state could have hoped um all things considered and you know we can get the monkey off our backs the chances of georgia state actually completing the upset against gonzaga were very small you know we said that we said as such last week we kind of outlined what you were looking for in this game. And I honestly think that Georgia State achieved a lot of those things. But, uh, you know, your opening preamble, Jordan, was correct. That 93-72 score was incredibly deceptive and not at all reality for what that game looked like. Yeah, I mean, I think at the, the start of it, you just have to say that they had a really good game plan, especially defensively, to take Gonzaga out of their rhythm, kind of take away just going down to the post to Timmy and Holmgren, which is really hard to do because it's it's what they do. And, you know, it's kind of shocking to see Memphis also did that for the first half against them in their second round game, which they ultimately won. But, you know, in drawing a comparison to between those games, Memphis took a 10-point 10, 10 lead to the halftime in that game, I think because they had a better offensive output than what Georgia State was able to manage. And so Gonzaga was up by two at the break against Georgia State. But I mean, if you had told me that, Gonzaga, uh, that Georgia State was going to shoot 29% in the first half in this game, I would not have predicted a halftime score anywhere near 35-33. I thought, you know, if Georgia State is a bad shooting day, it's a really just not an, a likely bet that Gonzaga is going to also have a bad shooting day. And they just... They didn't seem locked in. You know, they missed, I think there were two of 11 on threes in the first half. They missed a ton of free throws and there was just a lot of mental stuff. It just seemed like for whatever reason, maybe it's because half the rotation for Gonzaga hadn't played in the NCAA tournament. So it was new to them, even if it wasn't new to the program. I don't know what it was, but they certainly weren't locked in and Georgia State took advantage and kept it a game well past the point anyone expected. And, and in doing so, build some respect for themselves. You know, you had immediately a lot of national guys who are watching the game, giving credit to Rob Lanier for the job that he's done. You had the same bracketology people who had been putting out tweets like, Hey, this probably isn't a 16 seed. 
continuing to hammer that home and be like, look, they got this one really wrong and you're seeing why. And you had Mark Few saying it, which is the ultimate respect that you, the, the opposing coach, you know, the coach of the top seeded team recognized how good of a team it was and how much they really, you know, rocked them. Yeah, Few was effusive in his praise of Georgia State at halftime. You know, he, uh, before heading into the locker room, he was pissed. Like, you, you could tell he was visibly like, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm grossly paraphrasing here, but he was like, well, you know, that was a tough defensive team. We knew they were going to be a tough defensive team. And, you know, that's not a 16 seed. I'm sorry, whatever the selection is, but that's absolutely not a 16 seed. And they just showed it for that half. So, you know, we're the Zags and we've got to, you know, come out here and do insert your basketball X and O's that the Bulldogs employed. Um, but yeah, I, you know, I think Brady, you're absolutely correct. Like, and it wasn't just the respect from those national guys. I feel like looking like watching the game, I saw a lot of respect from, uh, you know, the Gonzaga players, like when a Georgia state player would fall. And I mean, I, I don't necessarily think that every game there's some sort of animosity, you know, guys are all playing the same sport and, you know, they're competitive. They want to win, but at the same time though, like, you know, there is still some level of camaraderie that you see, but I don't know. It just, it seemed like there was a lot more, uh, a, a higher level of respect than I've seen personally in some, like in the other NCAA games I've watched, you know, I didn't see much respect, um, in the way that I saw the Bulldogs showing Georgia state respect. And so I, you know, that was something that was at least nice to see from my perspective. I definitely didn't have time to go that deep into the observation. So I'll leave the reading body language stuff to you and I'll move on to, I guess the things that troubled Georgia state and what ultimately led to their downfall was like, even early on when the defense was good, they started racking up some fouls and especially down low, they got into foul trouble. You know, Jalen picked up his second with like third, just under 14 minutes to go in the first half. Uh, I believe he picked up his third somewhere around the eight minute mark, like a me- pretty soon after he checked back in or actually he stayed in. Cause I think, you know, the, the obvious thing that I think the commentator said, and that is right is like, there's no reason not to play a guy with two fouls in that situation. Like even if the third one gets him in trouble, um, you know, you have nothing to lose. There's nothing gained from auto checking a guy out with two fouls there, but he picked up the third one. Eventually, I think you had three players foul out. I think all of uh, Jalen, Jaheim, Caleb Scott all fouled out. Uh, and then obviously the other part of it was Ellie getting hurt, which uh, it, first of all just sucks. And it was really unfortunate to see that unfold. Uh, obviously, he mends a lot. Um, it was at, at the end of the day, I'm glad he got healthy again got back to the tournament, helped lead the team to the tournament and got to play again in the tournament. But no one wants to see anyone's career end that way. And so that was an unfortunate thing. And, you know, I think in the second half, what you saw was just the games were over for Gonzaga and they just started feeding Timmy and uh, uh, occasional possessions also Chet, but it was really mostly Drew Timmy who ended up with 32 points every possession he started getting really crafty and drawing even more fouls or just making tough shots. Cause that's what he does. And so, you know, playing it out, I don't really think I buy that LAL's injury had that much of an impact as far as like, if he didn't get hurt, Georgia state wins that game. Cause I think a lot of the same things that they took advantage of, they'd still been able to do in the second half because they kind of changed mentality. It wasn't just that LAL wasn't on the court. It wasn't just, 
that Timmy started making shots. It was just that their approach offensively started getting back to what they're good at. So I kind of want to put that aside and say, I don't really think that that's, you know, if it's something that people need to hold on to, is it like a crutch of like five years from now, thinking about this game, whatever. Uh, I just won't necessarily be one of you because I think that the way the second half played out is maybe what we expected from the whole game. And I don't really know what took Gonzaga quite so long other than just Georgia State meeting them and, and taking them out of their game. And so it's not something you could bank on for doing 40 minutes, but I think you did it as long as you could. And the shooting was there the early second half, you know, 29% in the first half, but I, they made, I think, nine of the first 14 in the second half. And as long as Georgia State was going to keep making shots, even if Gonzaga had found out their offense, it was going to stay a game. But when the shooting went cold for Georgia State is right when Gonzaga went on that huge run and kind of put the game in an uglier state than the uh, than a fair scoreline would suggest. I do have kind of an answer for your point about uh, why it took so long for them to switch their game plans. It was foul trouble a little bit. Chet got in some foul trouble and they just were resting guys. And, you know, Timmy wasn't as aggressive in the first half. You're right. Um, He finished the game with two fouls. Uh, So the game plan wasn't just, hey, feed this NBA prospect on the low block because Georgia State's tallest player is still shorter than him. But, uh, you know, they were just spreading things out and just... You know, I don't want to say they looked lackadaisical because, well, no, I'll say that. They definitely looked a little lackadaisical. But then, you know, again, the NBA prospect was just like, OK, I'm going to score 30 points. And, you know, that happens like it's it's OK. There's nothing wrong with that. So uh, but I I will say hats off to Gonzaga, man, because they didn't really like Georgia State was affecting their ability to score, I would say, for most of the first half and a little bit of the second half. but. Man, when that train gets on the tracks, it is <laughs> truthfully impressive to watch. Yeah, it definitely is. And I still would overwhelmingly take them against the field right now, even as you know, the odds wouldn't be in that favor. Like it's entirely more likely one of the other 15 team left wins it. But it just feels like it has to be their year, right? Uh, but I just I I don't know that. You know, we're veering into like like the moral victory or like good losses thing or whatever. Uh, I'm not even talking about that, but like your goal going into this game was putting respect on Georgia State's name. And I think you did that. And I think that that comes across for whether you're talking about the team you went up against, whether you're talking about the uh, people who were looking the game and just yourself, because I think the message from Coach Lanier before the game was basically like, we have to go out there and play our game and that's the only thing we can do. And I think that they can say they acquitted themselves really well in this situation. Result didn't go the way you wanted to, but you really made it a game. You kept it a game. And, you know, the other part of it is that we we talked about just this team fighting through adversity. And you saw that even in the little microcosm that was this game, because Elio goes down, you're in foul trouble. And you know, Caleb Scott comes off the bench and plays probably more minutes than he's played all of conference season. Look, you know, played his best game all year and really he was fighting. You know, he was undersized going up against a guy like Chet Holmgren and, you know, that Chet's a freak and is going to go in the top three in the NBA draft this year. But he was out there scrapping. He got a nice three point play on the offensive end and he was getting some rebounds. And it was really nice to see. And it's kind of again, you know, yeah, they lost a guy, but the next person stepped up and you really got a good contribution from a guy that I don't think that 
he expected probably to play significant minutes in that game unless it was going to be the game was way out of hand way out of hand late uh, but he heard the bell ring he heard his name called and he got in there and gave everything and that's all you could ask for in that situation and you know what? I thought Caleb played really good defense uh, in a kind of weird tweener role. And I don't necessarily think that the refs called a poor game, but I do think at least two of the fouls that were called against him were not either called consistently with other players on both teams committing same levels of contact. Um, or I just didn't think they were fouls, but yeah, I like huge shout out to Caleb Scott for you, as you said, his best game all year. And, you know, for it to come when Georgia state one needed it the most and two with quite literally the brightest lights he has ever seen. That is a very impressive. And I kind of want to bring it back to that brightest lights point of view, because you're sitting here, there's going to be some transition. We're going to talk about it some in this podcast. And this obviously, as the offseason goes on, we'll talk about, you know, if transfers come in, who it is, what they're going to do for this program. But you have eight guys who played who could be back and be a part of the next tournament team. You know, 12 guys play in total, the four seniors who two of them can't be back. The other two, no one is expecting back. It would be kind of a shock at this point if Justin or Eliel comes back for another season. But you've got the other guys who played who could all be a part of the next tournament team. And so I feel like an underrated thing is that basically your entire team got minutes and not just minutes, but you know, I think the least anyone played was three minutes. And some of those were like guys down the stretch, like Danny Stubbs, freshman, uh, who hasn't played a lot in general this season. But other guys like Caleb Scott, like Money Ma, who got some significant run, uh, mostly due to foul trouble. But like, hey, you know, LEL gets hurt. There's foul trouble. The other side of it is that you got a lot of guys on the court. And so the next time this team makes the tournament, and, you know, that continues to be the expectation that they're going to get back, it's not going to be a foreign thing to them. It's not even going to be a foreign thing where it's like, yeah, they went to the practices and they sat on the bench in Portland, but they didn't play. Like, no, they got out there on the court. They got their feet wet. And so... You know, for whatever amount that counts, and I think it is more than we would give it credit for at first hand, like, you got that. You got a lot of guys who now have NCAA tournament experience for the next time, whereas when you came into this game, it was just Kane, LEL, and Nelson Phillips who didn't travel with the team. And that's so important. You're right. That's very important. You know, the next time Money Moss steps on an NCAA tournament court, it's not going to be his first time. It's not going to be his first experience. So... You know, hopefully going forward, we're talking about a storied career of his in terms of, you know, Georgia State getting back to the tournament. But, you know, you're absolutely right. That experience, you know, you can't put a you can't measure how valuable that is because it's so invaluable. And, you know, not to mention the on-court stuff is also important, but it is still like going through the week of there being a lot more media people at a practice than you're expecting for the guys who were seniors getting a lot more questions from media than they're used to like that whole spotlight. Uh, even with the 16 seed factor, you know, it was still there. And so you kind of got that environment. And so again, if you can do what you're expecting yourself to do and get back to that situation next year, basically none of it's going to be foreign. The only thing that's going to be foreign is probably the opponent and where you're going to be going and just the plane ride or the bus ride is going to be different. but. Everyone can kind of 
have had that shared experience together to where it's not that part of it you're set for. And it's just about playing the game of basketball. Okay, so before we move on, let's go ahead and take a little bit to go back over a brief season retrospective and uh, what might be next for the Panthers. I know you guys have been talking about that a little bit offline. What you got? I mean, Georgia State plays in a mid-major conference, right? So at the end of every year, specifically for this team, this program, there is a big red stamp. That is either success. We made the NCAA tournament or failure. We did not make the NCAA tournament. And now there's different levels to that failure. But despite what the season looked like at various points this year, this is a this is a successful one. This is exactly what you wanted. You know, it, it didn't look pretty. You know what? A 16 seed is not what the goal was coming into the year. Uh, 18 and 11, not the goal coming into the year. Uh, barely scrapping by in Sunbelt play for like a month and then finally figuring it out. You know, that's not the goal either. But the goal is the NCAA tournament. And they made it. And so, yes, in the future, you want it to look better. In the future, you don't want, you know, injuries to affect guys. You don't want to have zero quality wins or, you know, you don't want to get blown out by tourney teams or potential bottom feeder power five teams for whatever reason, but that's what happened. And you know what? This team still fought through the adversity that was that December and January. This team still found themselves at the end of the season and made the run, you know, kind of similar to last year. And this team didn't falter in the, you know, their final test in the championship game, you know, heading into where where it determines whether their season was a success or a failure. So, you know, I think there are a lot of lessons to take away from this team about, you know, some personal growth and, you know, there's going to be a lot of turnover. Th- absolutely. There is going to be a lot of turnover. Like Brady said, we don't know who's going to be back, but it can be safe to assume that there's going to be three, four, five roster spots open for Georgia state next year. So, you know, it ended up being a good season for what you wanted. And, you know, hopefully that can, that trend that Georgia state's been on the past I guess half decade or so is going to continue moving upwards. Yeah. I mean, the four NCAA tournaments in the last eight years for Georgia state is obviously an accomplishment, something to be proud of something to show that the program is where it's never been before in terms of just out and out success over this last decade. But because it's not eight in eight years, you really can't thumb your nose at anything that ends in an NCAA tournament appearance. Like the goal is to get to where it's not about making the tournament it's about advancing to the second weekend. It's about hosting a tournament game. You know, obviously those are the biggest picture things you're chasing down. And obviously Murray States had a, a lot more of a storied history than Georgia state, but if they can do it, Georgia state has the ability to do that as well. It's not like it's a given that it's going to happen anytime soon. It's going to be a lot of hard work, but, you know, Murray State isn't in an objectively way better conference. What they did is just they won all their games and were garnering the respect of everyone and got to that seven seed line. Maybe should have been a six seed, you know, if we want to get down to the nitty gritty on that. But right now, making the tournament is a success year, like David said. And more to the point, it wasn't even just that they made it. It was just that the team was dead in the water some of it for reasons out of their control and just in a funk. And at the moment where they could have just quit and just said, it's not going to happen this year. 
they bucked up and they said, no, we're going. And especially the seniors said, we are going out on an NCAA tournament berth. And they flipped the defensive script in a way that we haven't seen in basically a decade at Georgia State. Like the defense was as good as it's been since Coach Hunter's first year in Atlanta, the start of really this renaissance in Georgia State basketball, or not even renaissance, just, you know, real birth, like the first birth, not a rebirth, because this is really a new age for Georgia State basketball. And so that standard's kind of been set. You know, you're going to have to replace some of your top scorers, some of your energy guys at defense. Uh, but the guys who are coming back and the guys who are going to be coming into the program, like they know what it takes to be the defensive team that they were down the stretch. Even if new guys are going to have to have roles or guys are going to have new roles that were on the team this past year, like that standard's been set and it's, you know, it might be tough, but it is known what they have to do to be that type of defensive team. And, you know, then the next part of it is just getting back to the shooting numbers that Georgia State's come to expect. And I, there's no reason to think that they can't just do that next year, depending on what they add, because it was kind of an aberration that had happened this year. And if they can have any semblance of this defense and any semblance of any other Rob Lanier offensive year, that's a very dangerous team. And what is going to be a pretty tough league, you know, Louisiana is going to kind of be filling the Georgia State role where they're bringing back a lot of guys from that championship game loss. App State is losing a lot, but I think Dustin Kearns is a good coach and they've got some good recruits coming in. And so until they're back to like a sub 500 team, I'm probably going to expect them to be up and around there. Norchad O'Meara came back and a thing that surprised, I think, a lot of people. And he's totally bought in. And if they can surround him with a couple more guys that have a little bit more to offer, that's a dangerous team just because he's the far and away front runner to repeat as Sunbelt player of the year. And that guy is just a menace and it is not at all fun going up against. And I say that as someone who's only had to watch George State play him twice. And it's just both been in the Sunbelt tournament where it's been winner go home. And it's like, I'm enough of this guy already, let alone seeing him two times at conference play. Yeah, no, please cancel those games for next year because I'm not looking forward to it. And in Texas state still like, Georgia State is not going to be, I think we said this last week, or I think David said this last week, but Georgia State's not going to be the preseason favorite in the Sun Belt and shouldn't be because there's a lot that they have to replace. But I still think that you look at this and the way the season ended, it's something you can still build on and it's something that the guys that were a part of it are going to take forward as it's now going to be with the addition of some more guys to come, their team to make that repeat happen. Yeah, and you know what? There's, there's definitely some holes here, that, and we've talked about it, and we'll like talk about it, of course, throughout the off season. But you know, I think right now the only like surefire position that I can see for next year is just Jalen, and that's you know, he, you know, he's free to transfer, he's free to you know pursue other things if he wishes. But you know, I think he will stay. Uh, uh, but, you know, it is 2022 and the transfer portal is what it is. But other than that, I think you could make a case for some guys in different roles. 
Um, I don't know that I see a primary ball handler at the collegiate level on the team. Maybe there's something that Coach Lanier's got and he'll, you know, coach somebody up and there'll be some growing pains or, you know, somebody like Evan Johnson or whatever is going to surprise a lot of people with this immaculate point guard play. But, you know, that's going to be something that Georgia State's going to need. And, you know, I think given the transfer news, um, from this year, just, you know, now, now that the year's kind of over um, and given the available scholarships, I think that's going to be something that the Panthers obviously are going to look for and, you know, try to develop, whether it is internally or externally. Yeah, because, you know, Kane Williams is graduated now, is, cannot come back. Corey Allen cannot come back. Like I said earlier, would be a surprise at this point if Justin Roberts or Elias Sesame is back and you know, sort of the elephant in the room with all of this is that Nelson Phillips didn't play in the Sunbelt tournament, didn't travel to Portland. Nothing official there yet, but the mood music is just basically feels like probably the end of the era as far as he's concerned in Atlanta. Uh, obviously, we wait for any official word on that from him entering the portal, but it feels like that's where it's trending just because, I mean, yes, like given everything that's played out, like that just feels like the next logical step. And if that's the case, best of luck to him. But because Kane and Corey's extra year, they this was they they counted in the, I guess the scholarship numbers. I, I don't know the best way to explain this is they were on a scholarship, but they aren't a scholarship that you're replacing this year. Like you cannot, they're they were accounted for in an extra capacity on the scholarship listing, but you don't suddenly have theirs and the other seniors to replace. So right now, the only spots that you know that you're able to fill from are Justin and LEL's scholarships that when they're, if, if, and when they announce that they are moving on as well, then you have those. And then if there's news that comes from Nelson, you'd have the third. We don't know the rest of the roster. I'm sure those conversations about, you know, guys next steps in this program are going on as this off season really gets underway and it'll kind of play out and we'll see where the numbers lie. But like, you're right that I think that, at the very least, you need to grab a shooter because you're losing a lot of your perimeter shooting from both Corey and Justin leaving and Kane for what he offered there as well. So I think you need a wing that can offer you a good percentage from three. You definitely need to get a big who can bring you that energy because, you know, while Jalen obviously came on strong at the end of the year and we still, you know, that's only one of the front court spots. And I think Jaheim looks great for where he's at. I think that I'm excited to see where he ends up in his career at Georgia State, but you know, that's just your two starters and then you don't have the depth there. So I think you would need at least one guy you add to the front court. And then like you say, whether it's Evan Johnson, whether it's a guy who comes in, you probably want someone you trust handling the ball on offense. And so all this stuff will play out. I will say that I think that there's guys like Evan, like Colin Moore, who have played the roles they've played on this team because there's been seniors ahead of them in the depth chart and playing a lot of minutes. And so I do think that there's room for guys to grow. I think that the guys on the roster could be a pretty decent size of the core of next year's team because I think now if it's their minutes up for grabs and they can go take them, I definitely think that there's guys, you know, Evan Johnson has been mostly just a shooter off the bench because that's the role he's been asked to fill, but that wasn't just what he did out of high school. And so now that he can really offer, you know, have minutes up for offer, I'm interested to see what his development is there. Um, other guys as well, 
just it's going to be interesting but you know i don't necessarily look at it as rebuild or anything like that like you're losing a lot but with the transfer portal there's really no reason any team either has to be you know go through a rebuild or whatever you want to call it like you can add that talent that you need in an off season like it can happen like that and so we're just gonna have to see what goes on and i'm excited to see who comes in Braves fans and Falcons fans are about to hate me for what I'm about to say, but retooling while remaining competitive. No, like those it's not are a, the it, words. The portal exists, so that's not even a thing. Like memes aside, like there isn't such a thing anymore. Like there is no reason you have to rebuild as a college basketball program anymore because you can have people come in on transfers. Like obviously, <laughs> the Falcons are relevant because. It's kind of a rebuild, even though I understand why the GM and head coach don't want to call it a rebuild. Um, a lot of things to unpack on that that we're just not gonna because it's not a Atlanta Falcons podcast. Uh, but in college basketball, really, like you can add guys in every summer and replace whatever you lose, and it can be one-year guys on you know grad transfer types, or it can be guys that have eligibility. But like college basketball is a different landscape than what it was, and so. If it is a case where Georgia State goes through what resembles a rebuild, it might just be, you know, you missed on guys that you added or whatever it might be. But like there isn't an actual reason as we sit here today that Georgia State has to be in a down year next year because the landscape changed and you've got a new convocation center that you can recruit to, which we just got a little bit of appetite wedding pictures of an update of uh, today as a recording this podcast, which was fun to see. Yeah, those pictures look really nice. That's a good segue because, you know, that arena is going to be phenomenal for Georgia State. It's I mean, I words can't even describe it. Yeah, I'm excited to see how that uh, project ends up uh, looking as it nears completion. We'll, of course, keep you guys posted on all of that. But now let's go ahead and move on to baseball. Baseball got a sweep of Little Rock on the weekend to open Sunbelt play, winning 9-3, 7-4, and 12-8, respectively. And then, after jumping out to a 3-0 lead against top 25 UGA in a game played at the Gwinnett Stripers Cool Ray Field, the Dogs eventually pulled away with a 10-3 win. The team is now 14-7 in a joint best 3-0 in the Sunbelt. They travel to ULM for three more conference games this weekend before a jaunt down to Macon to face the Mercer Bears on Tuesday night. So how about those bus lot boys? What's your thoughts? I mean, we kind of said that it would be a nice omen for this team to get a series win against Little Rock, even better a sweep, and a sweep is what they got. And the bats showed up en masse and you know, didn't get tired of sending out those solo home run tweets over the weekend, especially in that Saturday game. Uh, but you've got three wins to open Sunbelt play. You're still feeling good. And obviously losing 10-3 in a game that was you led by three and that was even a 4-3 game that UGA led for a lot of the middle innings and they just kind of got away from the end. Maybe would put a damper on, but like the reality is that you rocked them early. They had to adjust. You had Mason Patel made his first start of the season and looked really good on the mound. And then I think he's still working back. I believe he's one of the guys Coach Stromanol said was in a a league in the offseason. And so they were having to monitor his minutes coming back from that. And so he looked very good. Uh, well, as far as reports go, I wasn't actually able to attend this game, but heard he was looking really good. 
he was only able to go the two innings and then it kind of got out of control from there, but still an encouraging sign in that game. And you still ended up going three and one on the week. So overall still good. Yeah. Anytime you get six outs and five of them are strikeouts, you're probably doing something right. I, you know, I don't know what a but... really good Georgia team as well. Exactly. You know, this is not a pushover team. So, you know, hats off to Patel for that performance. Um, you know, I'll start with the bats from especially the weekend series against Little Rock. I mean, they're kind of killing it right now. And everything that you're asking them to do, get on base, hit home runs, they're doing it, you know. And I think the impressive part is, you know, just like especially watching that Saturday game is they're putting up really good at bats together. You know, the strikeout numbers are they're high, I guess. But like at the same time, though, I think what's happening is guys are just spitting on good pitches and like close pitches. And, you know, umps are just, you know, not rewarding them for it, which that happens. It's baseball. But other than that, I'm loving the swings that I'm seeing on some of these balls. And, you know, they, like they are crushing the ball right now. You know, what? just because it's not going over the fence or, you know, in the case that it does go over the fence, I think Georgia State is really seeing the ball out of pitchers' hands well. And, you know, that I think coupled with how they've pitched at various points during the year, that really bodes well for their chances in the Sun Belt. Yeah, a couple of those were not cheapies, just out to dead center in the complex. And, you know, a guy we've talked about, obviously, Griffin Chaney, uh, Max Ryerson, both have had phenomenal starts of the year. Uh, Griffin Chaney exited one of the games this weekend with an injury. Don't know exactly the deal with that. Would obviously not be great news for Georgia State because he's been their best hitter this year so far uh, and reliable shortstop play as well. But Guy we hadn't really mentioned was Luke Boynton, and he went out and had three home runs and one in every game of that series against Little Rock. And so as you're looking to say, yeah, you've got these guys at the top of the order, they're really delivering. You wanted to see more and more. As each series creeps along, you keep seeing different guys pop up and offer you something. And you're like, there you go. You've got another spot in the order that's delivering. You know, Cameron Jones doing the two-way thing really well. And, uh, you know, the, the pitching the numbers don't look as good because they gave up some runs, but it's still something where you think you can really trust it. And you're getting quality innings from your starters. I think the one thing you'd maybe look for is maybe a little more length from them, but you're still getting those good innings for the most part. Uh, it's just sometimes the middle innings are getting away from you because you're having to go to the bullpen maybe earlier than you would want, but they're doing well. And at the back end, you're getting really nice closing innings from guys like Seth Clark, Chad Treadway, and uh, Ryan Watson closed out one of the games this weekend as well. I think they're still figuring out. He's another guy. He was having his innings limited to start the year, and so I guess he's back doing some bullpen work and closing work, as it were, on Sunday. Uh, and another guy that's given you a lot down the stretch in games. Yeah, you know, and speaking of that lineup, I think Will Mize is finally busting out of that slump, which is, I mean, that's deadly for this lineup if you can get Will Mize going. So, you know, anytime you can make your lineup longer, that's, you know, that's the name of the game with baseball, just continuing to turn it over and, you know, kind of continuing to put runs on the board to take pressure off of that pitching staff, like you mentioned. And, you know, you look at this weekend, ULM currently 6-12-1 on the year, and they had a strange, strange series. Uh, they went one and one and one this past weekend in Conway against Coastal Carolina. They won the Friday game. They lost on Saturday. And then 
they tied 17-17 on Sunday. And I believe, as far as I read, the reason that it ended in a tie is because at a certain point, they had to leave to travel back. And so at a certain time of the day in the middle of the afternoon, the game was just ended where it was at 17-17. They went home. And so not very often that you see a 1-1-1 start to Sunbelt play or conference play for anyone in uh, baseball. Uh, But it happened. uh, I think the one win tells you that, you know, Coastal is a good team. Coastal just beat up on Clemson, another team that Georgia State beat a week and a half ago, was that? And so it tells you that if they can win games and it's a home series for them. So I think it's another way. If you win the series, that's a boon. If you found your way to a sweep, obviously that would be the dream. But I feel like it's a little deceptive because you look at the record and six and 12 and one, it doesn't wow you, but it's still, you got to go on the road and win games. And so it's going to be a test for Georgia state. And so do I think that possibly going one and two in the weekend. Certainly. I think that's an outcome that could happen. You got to go out there and play the games, win the games. And then Mercer's really good. Mercer beat FSU earlier this year. Uh, It's going to be a a little midweek test kind of in the same way that you had, because the way they're playing is at least close to a parallel of like a Clemson that you played earlier in the midweek. All right. So we got one more item of business tonight and that is football. Spring practice rolls on toward the spring game on April 1st, and the football staff is one coach more full as the Panthers have hired Alan Smith for the open position of defensive line coach. He comes from the Houston Texans in the NFL, where he was assistant DL coach in 2021, spent the last three years as a DL coach at Wofford who he played with as an undergraduate. Smith and wide receiver coach Quinshad Davis's hires are now official from the school, and of the 10 full-time assistant spots, only the running backs coach is unfilled as of the time of recording. So, uh, gentlemen, what do we think about Coach Smith? Well, you know, Georgia State's defensive line the last two years has been really good, so like I said earlier, I hope he just comes in and says, hey, you guys are good college football players continue to do the good college football defensive line thing. And that's all she wrote. It's as easy as that. Let's just not even have the season. Let's just go on the vibes. Um, You know, just as the base level of like looking at the hire has collegiate experience, had some put up some good numbers uh, with the Wofford defense when he was there. And then I'm sure there's some kind of selling point with him having been in that NFL room, especially as you've got guys on in his room going in that you know i think you're really gonna have getting nfl eyes on them and you know i mentioned it because as of today when we are recording this podcast there was a piece out from stan at the ajc about thomas gore who i really think is gonna keep impressing scouts the more and more he plays and you know this is is an organic time to mention that and mention the article because i enjoyed the quotes from thomas in the article filled to a you know fit to a t exactly why you've seen him kind of flash and get all the sacks and tackles for losses that he's had this year and really he goes into 2022 as a guy you're really counting on the defense to bring you some impact and you know what he said was you can have all the hurries and tackles for loss you want but i want the sacks when you play in the trenches it's man to man and if i'm not aggressive they're gonna win you have to be like a bull in a china shop and Football guy through and through right there. You absolutely love to see it. He's going to be a guy that Coach Smith is going to be able to continue to have grow. And 
maybe reach that next level. And, you know, you talk about next level, he was already one of the best guys on this defense. So if he or some of the other guys in the defensive line can get even more out of their game with Coach Smith, you know, watch out some belt offenses. No, that quote was excellent. I, <laughs> I was definitely laughing when I read it earlier today. Uh, but I mean, he's right. Everything that he said is right. And I, I think when you look at it from an individual perspective, yeah, Harry's hurts, Harry's hurries. Um, and you know, rushes don't necessarily matter really, but you know, guys want like, you know, we talk about the pitcher win. You mentioned that earlier, uh, you know, pitchers want to win. Like it's in their nature to want to have that stat, if you will. So, and when it comes to guys on the D line, you know, they don't necessarily care where they play inside outside, but they want to get those sacks. You know, you want to be the guy who's bringing down the quarterback and, you know, not just bringing down running backs behind the line of scrimmage, but really impacting the game and the best way to do that is to be sacking the quarterback. So, you know, I think that's a great quote, you know, and I'm excited to see what a guy like Gore can do next year, especially with this hire and see just kind of, you know, how can Georgia State's defensive line continue to improve from where they are? You know, I still think there's plenty of room for improvement for this line. And it's been a good line the past two years. I mean, easily we are easily in a run where Georgia State is having the best success in that position group that this program has ever had. Yeah, I mean, doesn't go any more, you know, they've beaten their own sack and tackle for loss records in back-to-back years. Like, that spells it out for you that the guys up front are doing a lot of good work there. Absolutely, you know, and Gore's not going to be too happy about that last part you said, but hopefully he's, you know, continuing to challenge for that sack record. So one last order of business real quick before we do sports bits and get out of here. Uh, we did learn this week that longtime uh, sports information director, associate athletic director for communications for Georgia State, Mike Holmes, has announced he is retiring after 13 and a half years back at Georgia State. And uh, we would be absolutely remiss if we did not thank him for everything he's done for us here at Thursday night in a professional capacity. And also all the just great conversations we've had with him as a human being just Lots and lots of great stories with Mike. And I, I know you guys have uh, thoughts on this stuff as well. Yeah, Mike from Marietta, hanging up the cleats, uh, hanging up the... Yeah, it, it, it's been a lot to take in. You know, obviously, he's meant, like you said, a great deal to our ability to get this off the ground and keep it going. And, you know, even just sending the questions in when he did was always such a, a nice thing. And all of this wouldn't work without like the positive energy from, you know, from us, from people around. And Mike is definitely one of the bigger bringers of positive energy as far as us and what we do and making sure that we are as, you know, welcomed for what we are trying to bring to the Georgia state community and beyond. And so, you know, really not understating it enough to say that he's maybe the most important person outside of the four of us in the development of this website, this podcast. Uh, And so bittersweet because I'm obviously very happy for him that he's going to be able to go be a dad, play some golf. I'm no, I know that golf is going to be on the agenda for him as he heads towards this next chapter, but super sad as well, because, you know, he's a Georgia state, you know, institution of knowledge and, it's certainly going to be a loss for all of us in the Georgia State land, but also happy for him. And he's not going anywhere. I'm sure we're still going to see him around at events, and that will be good as well, just to continue to 
have that relationship with someone who you know cares so deeply about Georgia State? Yeah, bittersweet is absolutely the right way to look at this. Um, you know, I still remember that first initial uh, moment where, you know, when we were starting up and we were like, Good okay, luck trying to orga- like figure out why we even mentioned this, because I right. don't remember the context. Exactly. Um, you know, we were just just trying to, you know, start things up. And, you know, I Chopping think Ta- Taylor had kind of messaged up and was just like, hey, so like, you know, Will got me a meeting with like this guy, like Mike, and, you know, he like wants to like sit down and talk to us about this. And I was like, oh, like that I is. I thought you were telling the Chavala home story. No, 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 <laughs> no, um, but yeah, no, I mean, you know, Mike, we, you know, we appreciate the buy-in from day one and, you know, like I said, it's bittersweet because, you know, you got to go be a dad, you got to go be a family man, but you know, Georgia state is going to lose a real, real good one from their community because of this. And, you know, I, I couldn't think of anybody who, you know, represented the university as well as Mike has and, you know, who is just so passionate about, you know, Georgia State Athletics and, you know, who just really, really cares about their position at the university. So, you know, they got to find a way to put your keyboard in the rafters or something or, you know, get a Jersey retirement uh, celebration for you. (laughs) You know, but, uh, you know, I just want to say thank you, Mike, and thank you for all that you've done for us and, you know, for the school. And we got to get you on the pod now. Yes. Absolutely that's, has to happen. That's a, that's a certifiable fact going to happen. And of course, it's time for Sports Bits. First up, track and field traveling up to Kennesaw State for an event there all day, Friday and Saturday. Men's tennis travels to UT Arlington for a match Friday at 1 p.m., then heads to Lafayette to take on Louisiana at 10 a.m. on Sunday, while women's tennis hosts Louisiana and Atlanta at 10 a.m. on Saturday and welcomes the Warhawks of ULM to Atlanta Sunday at 10 a.m. Softball hosts South Alabama in a three-game homestand at 5 p.m. Friday, 1 p.m. Saturday, and 1 p.m. Sunday. Men's soccer hosts Furman in Atlanta at 7 p.m. on Friday, and women's soccer also hosts Furman in Atlanta at 1 p.m. on Saturday. Baseball travels to ULM this weekend for a three-game stretch with games at 7 p.m. Friday, 3 p.m. Saturday, and 2 p.m. Sunday. Those first two games will be on ESPN+, and then they travel to Mercer on Tuesday to face the Bears at 6 p.m. Beach Volleyball is in Deland, Florida on Saturday and Sunday for the Stetson Beach Bash, where they will face FIU, FAU, Coastal Carolina, and Stetson. Women's golf is hosting the Georgia State Invitational in Johns Creek on Monday and Tuesday, while men's golf travels to Gulf Shores for the Craft Farms Collegiate on Monday and Tuesday as well. So lots to go on in Panther Athletics this week. Go catch a game, go catch a match, follow along online, and we'll see you in the next episode of the Thursday Night Podcast. Thank you so much for listening, and go Panthers!